I don't know about you, but beginning a new school year, a new semester, you're thinking about what you're needing. For If you're a teacher, if you're a student, you're thinking about what you need and the supplies you have to have. You want to have everything you need for classes, right? And uh, for those of you who have children too, you did all the school supply shopping as well, making sure you had everything that your children needed as well to encounter the teaching that they're going to be facing for that semester. But uh, I think we often have the temptation to think about teaching primarily just in the positive sense, not necessarily from the negative perspective about the teaching that we're receiving. For example, I can't remember a school supplies list or a syllabus for one of my classes that said something like this, pens and pencils needed to refute against false teaching in the world, or calculator needed to consider the costs of false teaching on society, or grammar book needed to defend biological reality using gendered pronouns. Right? But would you agree that one of the greatest dangers facing any Christian or any Christian family or any Christian church or any school is adopting some form of false teaching? And if so, do you as a Christian, we as a church, do we have everything we need to handle false teaching in the world? You know, recently the the Gospel Coalition published an article titled Transformation of a Transgender Teen began like this. Eva was in a church luncheon when she got an email from her 12-year-old daughter, Grace. Their names have been changed for the sake of anonymity in the article, saying this, Mom and Dad, I need to tell you I'm not actually a a girl, she read. My pronouns are they and them. And in response, the mother, Eva, couldn't breathe. She felt like she'd been punched in the gut. She hadn't seen this coming. In fact, a few months before, Grace had shared on social media her belief that even God created people, made a male and female. Back then, Eva was sure that statement was going to to earn Grace, who attended a progressive public school, some social problems for sure. But instead, it seemed to blow right over, right away. And it goes on, I would have gotten bullied, said Grace, who is now 16. Instead, they decided to re-educate me. I got invited to to groups where all they wanted to talk about was the transgender stuff. Over the course of a few months, I I decided I was going to be a gender, and then I ended up deciding that I was a boy. See, Grace was experiencing what is often called rapid-onset gender dysphoria, is the label that our society uses, and which friendship groups begin to experience similar gender questions at the same time. And You know, the study shows one in five Gen Z Americans now identify as LGBT plus double the number of millennials, one in 10, and quadruple the number of Gen X Americans, about one in 20. It says a surprising number of them, 40% of Gen Zs and millennials also identify as religious, and increasingly Christians and pastors, youth pastors and parents are fielding questions and declarations from young people examining their own gender or sexual orientation. Now you might say, wow, I would rather talk about anything in church on Sunday other than this. But as a church, we can't ignore the reality individually or corporately as false teaching and just hope that it will go away. Part of our responsibility as Christians is to respond to false teaching and really to decide what do we believe and are we going to follow God's word. And again, this is just one of many issues that we could point swirling around our culture. So what's a parent supposed to do? How as a church, how are we supposed to respond? As a Christian teacher or a Christian school, or how do I respond to all of this? 
Well, knowing how to properly respond, you believe, to false teaching is really, really important. And it's one of the responsibilities and privileges we all have as a follower of Jesus. Thankfully, the Lord doesn't leave us in the dark on how to respond to this or any kind of false teaching that we would encounter in the world. See, God tells us he provides us everything we need. He provides us everything we need. And with that in mind, why don't you turn to page 183 in the back section under the Bible chair in front of you to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. That's page 183 in the New Testament in the Bible in the back of the chair in front of you. Our theme this year as a church has been hope for everyday life. Hope for everyday life. And you're going to maybe be saying, wow, I'm not seeing a lot of hope so far in this issue about false teaching that we're going to encounter. Well, think about verses like this, though, that give us some hope as believers as we encounter false teaching. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Do we believe that's true? And if so, it should give us hope. Like Romans 5.20, the law came in so that transgressions would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. We have abundant grace for us as believers to handle challenges in life. So, so even the prevalence of false teaching like transgender ideology, we can still affirm one of the most precious truths that we've been studying this year and asking our church to memorize. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so this morning, we're, we're focusing our series on growing in the grace and knowledge of God. That's hope for everyday life, to grow in grace and knowledge. And that comes at the end of the book, is sort of the, the final conclusion of the letter of Second Peter, is a command to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's sweet, especially even in our Christian school. Some of my kids right now are actually memorizing this verse at Faith Christian School. So we've been practicing going over it on the rides uh, to school together. But God wants us to grow in knowledge and grace of him. Well, that sounds pretty pleasant, but the, the context of 1 Peter is going to involve a lot of false teaching. But what, what's surprising uh, about the book is that it starts off with really a lot of hope of believers having everything that we need to handle the false teaching. But, but a little bit of background, you know, we, we, this earlier this year, we were in 1 Peter. And 1 Peter really was talking about hope as well, but it's in the context especially of believers who are suffering. And now, Second Peter's writing to believers as well in times of persecution, but one of the things that they're facing now is false teaching. And so Second Peter is written just a couple of years after First Peter, and what's surprising, again, about the book is how much is spent about the topic of false teaching. Now, Peter, at this point in his life, is he knows that he is about to face impending martyrdom. He's about to die. And if you remember, at the end of John chapter 21, Jesus had told Peter about his crucifixion and how he was going to follow in his steps and it was going to end in his death. And Peter now is also understanding from the Lord that that time is coming soon. And so Peter is writing this letter to remind the Christians of some very important truths that are going to continue to help them to grow in knowledge even when he is gone. So it's incredibly important. And so protecting and guarding the church from false teaching is one of the responsibilities of pastors. And the Lord warned this, even, for example, to Paul, to his departing elders in Ephesians. 
Be on guard for yourselves, for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from your own selves meaning false teaching, some of the most dangerous examples of false teaching come from people who associate with the church. And it comes speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. So do we have the the view that sometimes growing in grace and knowledge of God is going to involve admonishment from God's word in our hearts and lives? And are you ready for that, to be admonished even from God's word? Maybe where your views don't align with what God would think. But Peter is dealing with false teaching. You know, one commentator, MacArthur, says it this way, Second Peter, along with Jude, is viewed as some as the, the dark corner of the New Testament. As a result, it's not often preached, it's not often studied or discussed or quoted. The book is even neglected in some salary circles where critics dismiss it as sort of just a forged letter, unworthy of serious study, but the church of Jesus Christ ignores this epistle to its peril. After all, Peter wrote it to help believers face a world filled with subtle spiritual deception, knowing that his death was imminent. The apostle wanted to remind his readers of the truths that he had already taught them so that those truths would continue to safeguard them after he was gone. Peter also knew that the deadly threats of false teachers loom large on the horizon, and he wanted to expose the apostates in order to expel their demon doctrines from the church. And so you might say, whoa, we're going to be studying the dark corner of the New Testament. Well, again, This is for our growth, right, in the grace and knowledge of God. And the letter starts off with actually a lot of hope reminding us, you have everything you need. And that theme of reminding is everywhere. You're going to see it in 2 Peter chapter 3, the first two verses. You can turn over in your Bibles and you're going to see that phrase again. I'm reminding you of these truths so that you continue to grow in grace. And then next week, Lord willing, we'll be focusing on the reminder of the sufficiency of the truth of God's grace. So as we grow in our knowledge, as we're reminded of these things, you're going to see that you have everything you need. You have everything you need. So follow along as I begin in 2 Peter chapter 1. This is the word of the Lord. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of God, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. I want you to circle that phrase, knowledge. You're going to see it come up over and over. Knowledge of God. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything, everything, everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these, his own glory and excellence, he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. For what purpose? So that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. 
For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten, they're not remembering, his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you, I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent. I'm about to die. It's also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. This is the word of the Lord. And so in order to focus our time this morning, we're we're taking an approach that hopefully you notice throughout the the text. Peter is wanting to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth with present with you. And so with that in mind, we're going to be looking at three truths to to remember and to apply diligently to grow in godliness and avoid false teaching in our life. And notice the, the first way that Peter reminds them first, uh, that they've received the same kind of faith. He's reminding them of their identity and the faith that they have in Christ. And Peter humbles himself right out of the block, referring to himself as a bond servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. And so he's trying to remind them, though, that as an apostle and as also a bond servant, though, his faith is of the, the same kind. How? Well, it's by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what made this possible to have a personal relationship with the holy God. It's by the righteousness of God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the apostles and the disciples of Jesus, they didn't receive a special kind of faith or a unique kind of faith where they have a special way to be right with God that we don't have. As if there's some kind of secret way that we don't have. No, he says, it's, our faith is equally valuable. It, it's equally honorable. It's of the same kind because it comes through the same way. It's all through the righteousness that God supplies in Jesus Christ. And so he says in verse 1, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of God, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Notice the phrase, you have received. What does that mean? Faith is talked about in the sense of it's a gift of God. I cannot be good. I cannot be righteous enough on my own to be right in God's eyes. God must declare me righteous. God must act on my behalf. I can't look within myself. I have to look outside toward God and his righteousness to save me. So the act of believing is a gift for both the apostles and for us as believers. And it's a gift that comes by the righteousness of God and the Savior Jesus Christ. Jesus is right to declare righteous ungodly sinners who have faith in him because of his perfection. There's only one way to be right with God, and it's through faith. And one of the the best protections against false teaching in your life is by remembering that you have 
everything you need through Christ and by remembering the beauty of the good news of what puts you in a right standing with God is only Jesus, only the gospel. One commentator says it like this, this immensely important doctrine of imputed righteousness, that means God reckons, he accounts. It's like a legal declaration, not something within us. He determines and reckons to our account based on what Jesus has done. Imputed righteousness is at the very heart of the Christian gospel. Salvation is a gift from God at all points. Both the faith to believe and the righteousness to satisfy God's holiness come from him. On the cross of Christ, Christ bore the full wrath of God against the sins of those who would believe. Those sins were, there's our word again, imputed. That's what he's talking about, this righteousness that God reckons to our account, to Christ, so that God can impute to believers all the righteousness that was his, not our own. His righteousness fully covers the redeemed. As the prophet Isaiah beautifully expresses, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God, for he, for God, has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness that was his righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, as a bride adorns herself with jewels. And so the longer that you and I focus and remember how is it that we are made right with God, that is going to help you guard against false teaching that many times is going to say a very different message. This is the special way that you get right with God. This is the special way that you make God happy. And you need this apart from Jesus Christ. And the gospel says, no, it's only by the righteousness of our God and Savior And so maybe you're saying, well, how can I remember these truths of the gospel? I'll point you to two resources I would encourage you, maybe for your spiritual growth and grace in this area. We have a a resource called The Gospel Primer at our resource center by Milton Vincent. It has daily gospel devotionals reminding you of the implications of the good news of Jesus in your daily life. So that could be something that you use as part of your devotions to continue to grow in thinking about the gospel and remembering it daily in your life. Our senior pastor also wrote a book about this idea of our identity. Do you believe what God says about you? That, this is really where Peter begins. Do you believe what God says about you? You receive the same kind of faith as ours. So you have everything you need to grow in the grace and knowledge, just like I grew in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and so what is Peter eventually going to say, though, about these false teachers The false teachers arose among them just as they were be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. And the gospel reminds us, who bought us? Well, our master, Jesus, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. And so the whole point is, as we we think more and more about false teaching, is it's going to deny truths and realities that God makes very clear. For example, either our creator God made man male and female according to his image, or he didn't. And that's proven not by your feelings or your subjective experience, but by the word of God and his judgments that correspond to our reality. The gospel of Jesus, it humbles us, and it reminds us that we have to submit, and we desperately need our Lord and Savior every single day. But we can affirm with hope that we're not ashamed of it. We're not ashamed of it. Why? Because the gospel, this good news, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. For the Jews first, also for the Greeks, those who are non-Jews. And so the same gospel is what we have to hold out for people and remind people of over and over and over again. This is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It's only through faith in this gospel 
whether it's the adulterer, whether it's the homosexual, whether it's the transgender, whether it's drunkenness, whether it's lying, whether it's thief, this is the way that we are made right with God, only through Jesus. Peter goes on to say that also we are to grow. The grace and peace is to be multiplied in knowing our God. See, false teaching can multiply and tear up a family, and it can tear up a church. But what happens to men and women who truly are impacted by the gospel? They're going to continue to experience kindness and peace that's multiplied in knowing their God. Commentator Peter David says it like this. Therefore, this knowledge, though, is not simply intellectual knowing Jesus or even just personal sense of just having met somebody. But it's a knowledge, as you know Jesus personally, that results in ethical living. And we're seeing that throughout this passage. If you truly know, true faith, true knowledge will produce something. It will result in a certain type of lifestyle by the righteousness and the glory and the power and the excellency of God at work in you. It will produce because God is at work in and through you. You know, a couple weeks ago, our Christian school had its first football game, which was, uh, by many means, just an incredible thanksgiving to the Lord as we think and reflect on our Christian school over the years. And and a few days later, our Faith Christian School Athletics Director, Josh Hill, he received an email that was forwarded to him uh, through the Indiana High School Association talking about the exemplary behavior, the ethical living of some of the students that he had observed. This is what he said. I had the honor of officiating Faith Christian's first varsity football game on Saturday night, August 19th. Coach Shale and his team are to be commended for showing amazing sportsmanship. All the players were very respectful and played the game the way it was intended to be. Then he goes, I also want to commend player number 40. His attitude was amazing. And he even asked me if if I wanted him to pray, pray for me for anything. These young men were a blessing to be around. Good luck with this season. Thank you, coach and staff, for training and preparing these young men for real life. Don't you just love that? Right? Just the, the desire of students to want to actually live out their faith ethically, even in the domain of football. And I'm thankful, again, for our coaches, our student athletes who've been impacted by the gospel, where it's changing the way in which they live, the way they act, the way they think, their attitudes, their responses. And you might say, well, that's just a, a football game. Well, if that's the way they're the thinking, even in sports, it applies. If I can respond to that way of authorities in my life, right? How might it respond to all kinds of areas in my life? If I'm thinking God's word is the authority and it's going to dictate how my attitude is when I play football, it's also going to be what's going to dictate my attitude of how I go to the workplace, how I approach my studies, how I approach my parents. It should transform all of these areas. So I I just want to ask you, for those who might be here today, and you're asking the question, I don't think I'm right with God, right? Paul makes it, Peter makes it very, very clear there's only one way to be right with God. It's by the righteousness that Jesus has done on our account. He suffered. He died on the cross for our sins. We cannot be right apart from our trust in Jesus, the righteous one. And it's only through faith in him that you can be saved and right. And this is what is the only way for all people to be saved is through Christ and his righteousness. Second, remember you possess all the resources needed for growth in Christ. So not only do you have the same kind of faith, you you possess all the resources needed for growth in Christ because of this faith in him. 
So the gospel of Jesus, right, doesn't save us, not only saves us, but it continues to help us to grow, to become more and more like him. We, in the scriptures, we use the phrase often progressive sanctification. God is setting us apart. He saves us, and then he sets us apart for his holy purposes to live differently, for his glory, to represent what he is like. We're to be more conformed into his image. But one of the lies of our world and in false teaching is that you can't change. That the essence of much of false teaching in our world, especially as it comes to sinful desires and sinful actions and sinful thoughts, that there can be no change. But if you peek over again in chapter 2, 2 Peter 2, 1 through 2, false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. And what does it say? Many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be maligned. So there's the lie, right? To live for the lust of the flesh that you can't change because in so doing, you would deny yourself. You would go against your feelings and your feelings, right? Your experiences determine truth and reality for you. Well, there's no doubt that our feelings can be powerful and God gives us emotions And if you talk to somebody, for example, experiencing gender dysphoria, they'll report overwhelming feelings. They'll talk about those significant experiences. But part of our responsibility as Christians is to compassionately listen and to sympathize with those in suffering and in sin. But at the same time, we have hope. The the same is true as we think about same-sex attraction or lust not just the transgender issue. That might not be your experience. That might not be your temptation, particular temptation as a believer. You may have never experienced that temptation. But we better be prepared as Christians to listen to those who do because of our fallen nature. We all struggle with various inordinate desires and sinful thoughts and sinful emotions that as believers we must fight. We must take captive and seek to put to death and act in obedience to Christ. And in joyful submission to the Lord Jesus Christ, he can help us to grow. He can help us to renew our desires. He can help us to renew our thoughts. He can help us to act obediently to the word, even when, right, those desires and thoughts might surface in our hearts and lives. And in joyful submission to the Lord Jesus Christ, we can choose to think and speak and act in ways that honor his truth and his reality. We had a perfect example of that even recently as a church family when we heard the testimony of one of our new members at church family night, right? And, and so when our brother Steve, who comes from our Restoration's men's ministries for men struggling with various addictions, he had shared in his life and testimony how for nearly most of his life he felt like a slave, right, to these inordinate desires in his life. And by God's grace, the power of the good news of Jesus Christ transformed him. It changed him. And helped him to now begin to honor the Lord and how he would live his life in obedience to his commands. And then to publicly be able to proclaim his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. See, Peter says, remember all the resources you possess to grow in Christ, including the source of your growth. It's his divine power. It's his own glory and excellence. See, false teaching and false teachers can't offer any of that. They can't offer God's divine power. They can't offer God's glory and excellence. See, these are the resources of why you have everything you need. It comes from the power of our God. And when a follower of Jesus Christ chooses to trust this source of truth, 
they're enabled. They're able to find delightful change can occur. We had a, a gentleman of our church family give a membership testimony not long ago where he shared not because he had to, but because he wanted to, that he experiences same-sex attraction. But he understands that in order to honor his Lord Christ with his heart and his body, he must not and will not act on sinful desires. It took an incredible amount of courage right, for him to say that. An incredible amount of power, though, is needed to joyfully live that way. And that's a power that comes from not within ourselves, but a power that comes from God and through our Savior Jesus. But when you stop and think about it, that's all of our testimonies, isn't it? Do you do everything you feel like doing every day? Of course not. You test your feelings, your desires, your thoughts according to the word of God, and you crucify the ones that dishonor him. And you live in obedience for his glory, for his power, for his excellency. You don't want to dishonor his name. And you act on the ones that please him. And each time we do that, what's happening? Well, God's divine power is at work, and you are growing, right? You're growing in your, the grace and the knowledge of your Lord and Savior Jesus. This is what he saved you for. Galatians says it this way, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, by God's divine power, by his own glory and excellence, we can glorify him. Think about also the extent of your provision. This is why you have everything you need, the extent. He has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Do you believe that? That in Christ, a true, a true knowledge of him, you have everything you need to live in a way that honors God, to know God, and to live in a way that honors and pleases him. His grace, it's multiplied to you. You have been, verse 3, granted everything. Verse 11, you will be abundantly supplied as part of your salvation. This is what Paul prayed to the Ephesians for as well. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know. Know what? What is the hope of his calling? What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places. Do you believe that, Christian, that the same power that raised Christ from the dead, the same power that Christ uses to sustain the world and has the universe at his feet, is the same power that is also working in and through us to who believe, to grow and change, to become more like him? You've been granted everything. But false teachers and false teaching cannot offer any of this. False teaching is often, though, deceptive. It doesn't usually announce itself as false teaching. It projects many times itself in the terms of, you need this. You need this. You need this. You need this to know God. You need this to be pleasing to him. You need this for your life. And crafty false teaching denies the generosity and the wisdom of our God and his word that provides us everything to know him and live in a way that pleases him. He also explains the purpose of your resources, life and godliness. You may be partakers of the divine nature. That means becoming godly, more like the Lord, holy. Positively, negatively, you're escaping the corruption that is in the world by lust. So if you're partakers of the divine nature, you're, you're escaping the corrupting influences of this world. 
This is one of the beautiful beauties of being part of a church family. We're not a perfect group of people by any stretch, but there's a lot of growing that's taking place here by God's grace. The grace of God and the true knowledge of God results in godliness. It results in growth. And we can point to all kinds of examples who are benefiting from the resources available to them in Christ. That's part of what helps us to remember is by seeing it worked out in a brother or a sister in their heart and life who's part of our church family. And then there's the specific means. How does he make you grow? So this is the purpose, holiness, godliness, to become more like the Lord. Well, the means. It's through the true knowledge of him who called us. Right? Remember, Peter is likely on the way to being killed. And, and so that has a way of kind of, I think, helping to sort out what you believe the most. And, and perhaps better stated in this case, who you really believe and know. It's like what Paul said in Second Timothy 1, For this reason I suffer these things, but I am not ashamed, for I know the one who I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what has been entrusted me to until that day. But then what's another means, he says? Promises. He's granted. These are gifts that you receive. His precious and magnificent promises. This is what helps you to grow in your knowledge and grace in Christ. And so to what degree are the promises of God on your mind and on your heart and you're acting and you're believing in faith on those specific things? See, false teaching always overpromises that it underdelivers. False teaching, again, doesn't announce itself to you as false teaching. It doesn't usually say, I will destroy your life. I will destroy your marriage. I will destroy your family. I will kill your joy. I will sear and harden your conscience. I will make you useless and unfruitful for the purpose of which God created you. Instead, it often preys upon your desires. It deceives you and it tricks you and it distorts the good gifts and the satisfaction that God generously promises in Christ. So to reflect about sin in your life, Think about the sins of your life. What was the promise that you believed behind that sin? What were you deceived to think that that sin would give you? Maybe by this path that I would get recognition from people. By this path, I would be desired and I would be loved. By this, I would be something significant and meaningful. By this, this is how I would have ease and comfort. By this, I could, I could escape and I could get away from these concerns and worries. Right? It's preying upon these desires that we have and distorting it and telling you, this is the way you need this in order to handle this in a way that honors God. But then to think about the promises of sin. Did that thing show you mercy? Did it deliver and save you? Did it give you eternal life? Did it guarantee your ultimate joy? Did it empower you to love and to serve other people? Did it give you significant purpose in your life? Think about instead God's wonderful promises. And think about what sin can promise me these things? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life? What sin promises me that? What false teaching promises me that? Or Ephesians 1.13, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel, your salvation, what a have you've sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. What sin promises me the, the sealing of the Spirit of God in my life? 
Or, or John 10, 28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Or, or I will never desert you. I will never forsake you. We are of good courage to prefer rather to be absent from the body, to be, to be at home with the Lord. What promises are there for you that when you die, you're actually with God by any sin that you commit? Or the fact that goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life? When I pursue that path of sin, there's no promise there. But for the Lord, there's hope. His goodness, His mercy, His loving kindness. We need to remind ourselves of such wonderful promises. And so maybe a a possible takeaway for you is to really think about that desire. What is the desire? As you think about one of the the promises of false teaching and the false ideology that you're tempted to believe and accept in our world, to think, what am I hoping to get from that? What am I really wanting? And then to really think about memorizing a promise of God. And it could be one of these from the list that really helps you to fight and remember what is true and how that is deceptive and a lie. So pick maybe one of the promises from this list that will help you to guard you against false teaching. Finally, remember your responsibilities to grow in godliness. Remember your responsibilities to grow in godliness. For those who were with us this summer, verses 5 and ten, five through 8 sound pretty familiar, right? Uh, we spent uh, the whole summer series looking at each of these words of the characteristics, these qualities that we're supposed to supply to our faith in order to grow in fruitful character. And so I'd encourage you, if you were not here this summer, you can go back and listen to those messages as we kind of gave an example from the scriptures of individuals who really lived out this quality and demonstrated this quality in their lives. For example, like the moral excellence of Daniel or the perseverance of Job. But notice what the scriptures say. It's not let, God, let go and let God. It says be diligent. It's not do nothing, be still, and just wait. Instead, it's apply all diligence. Applying all diligence. Verse 5, we see it. Verse 10, what is he saying? Be all the more diligent. Verse 15, what's Peter's example? I will also be diligent. See, these resources that are available to us, they have to be accessed. They have to be put to good use by faith. Families and churches who are going to avoid false teaching will have to work at it. They're going to have to be diligent about it. And then he goes on, this is our responsibility is to supply and increase right, the needed qualities for growth in your faith. Look at verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is why sometimes we have to stand for freedom to proclaim these truths to people in our community who voluntarily come and ask, what does God's word say about this? Do we really, does God's word really speak about this? Well, we have everything we need to know God and to live in a way that pleases him according to his word. Like, for example, when the city of West Lafayette right, per, uh, tried to seek an ordinance to pass to find faith-based counselors, $1,000 per day for providing sufficient counsel from God's Word about how we ought to live our lives in all kinds of areas, whether it's sexuality, whether it's marriage, whether it's right, finances. The whole point is God's Word is sufficient for all these things to please Him. 
But it's one thing for God to give us the resources, and it's something else for us to do what we have to do to ensure access to those resources for anyone who desires them. The bottom line is, right, the West Lafayette City Council is trying to promote and protect what? False teaching and to silence truth from God's word. And so that's why as a church, we start to work with our state legislators to even pass a bill at the Senate level. Why? To ensure access to truth and to guard against false teaching for boys and girls so that they could be fruitful in their knowledge of the Lord. But then also we have the responsibility to make certain his calling and choosing you. See, the more you grow in Christ, applying with all diligence these qualities that he mentions, the more you're going to possess assurance, confidence of your salvation. That's why he says in verses 10 and 11, Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing. Well, well, how do we make certain? These are the reasons. For as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. What's his point? Is that your diligence to pursue godliness, your diligence to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, makes certain about his calling and choosing us. It confirms that God truly saved you. Assurance in this life for Christians is one of the blessings of spiritual diligence. And this diligence gives evidence that you really are a child of God that you will not stumble and you will have access and entrance into God's kingdom. You're assured that you will be welcomed and that you have been given eternal life. To grow and be diligent, Peter encourages then lastly to call to mind the truths that they have been taught by others. So he ends this section reminding them, saying, I'm, I will always be ready to remind you of these things even though you already know them. Can you think about times in your life where you need to be reminded something over and over again, even though you already knew it? That's what he's doing here, right? It doesn't change. We always need to be reminded of the most foundational and important truths for us to grow in the knowledge and grace of God. And he says, I consider it right as long as I'm in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly tent is imminent, and I will also be diligent, he says, that at the time after my torture, you will be able to call these things to mind. There is active, responsive diligence on our part to remember and to call the truths and the scriptures and the promises of God to our minds regularly if we want to grow and continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. Well, what about that young girl I was told at the beginning named Grace who told her mom she was no longer a girl and had changed her pronouns? Well, you can actually read her entire story at the website here. By God's grace, after several years of loving care by her family and her church, she remembers walking her neighbor's dog. And it says that she was wrestling with God and near the end of her freshman year of high school, she says, I knew I couldn't be a trans kid and a Christian at the same time. What was happening? The truth of God's word, right, was impacting her conscience. And she says, I know these two things aren't actually, can't be true at the same time. So I either have to, right, deny the truth of the scriptures and just live a false teaching and embrace this, or I have to give up the false teaching in order to follow the truth of God's word. And she said, I had to choose very begrudgingly. I told God, fine, if you made me to be women, whatever, fine. And a week later, her gender dysphoria was gone. She felt uncomfortable, but immensely relieved at the same time. 
the God of grace, literally in this case, right, helped her remember the truth that she had been taught by others, like her parents. And many times in our lives, right, as we experience the consequences of sin, as we experience the consequences of false teaching, God in his grace and mercy gives you opportunities to go, what is it that I forgot? What is it that I'm not remembering about Jesus and what Jesus has done for me? What is it that I'm not remembering about the truths of his word and the examples of those who've gone before me? And I need to call, call those things to mind diligently to continue to grow. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you so much for your kindness and your mercy toward us. Thank you that by your own glory and excellencies, you have granted us everything that we need for life and godliness through true knowledge of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who, as this text confirms, is God. He's our only righteousness. And I pray for those who are here today who may have never personally trusted in the righteousness of Jesus for their, on their behalf. And I pray today they would repent, they would turn from their sin, they would turn from believing false teaching, and they would believe instead in the one true God, the Lord and Savior Jesus. We pray that, uh, Lord, as a church family, you would help us through this series to continue to grow in grace and knowledge. We pray that we would remember the truths of believers who've gone before us, the truths of your scriptures, the truths that, of the promises of your word, that this week, as we would leave from today, I pray that we as a church family would be diligent, not just to be hearers of the word, but to be diligent doers of the word by calling to your mind your promises. Lord, especially on a Labor Day weekend, it can be easy uh, to just coast spiritually. And that can have impacts, Lord, and consequences in our marriages, with our families, with our uh, friends, and help us instead to be diligent to remember precious promises this week in moments of temptation, in moments when our flesh and desires are crying out to act in ways that are displeasing to you. I pray that you would help us to recall these things, that we have everything we need right now in Christ, and to trust you at your word and to act in faith in obedience to your word and see that your grace will supply everything we need in order to please you in those moments. And whatever promises you need to put on our hearts, we pray that you would bring those things to our minds as well. Lord, we pray that as a church family, as we grow in grace, that godliness would be more reflected as a whole in our church so that our community would see a bright light, Lord, of truth, a place where sin can be exposed, but also that we together can grow and change to become more like Jesus. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.